The federal government of Canada has decided that, uh, has announced, that it's going to open an office for de-radicalizing of individuals like Aaron Driver. So the question is, what are the chances of success for such an office? It's been tried in other countries, and without any real measurable success in most cases, particularly when governments involve themselves. I mean, where's the credibility? If a government becomes engaged in de-radicalizing, the radicalized person is not going to be paying that close attention. That seems to be just sort of common sense, deductive reasoning. And uh, where do you begin with this kind of effort in order to gain any credibility with the people you're trying to de-radicalize? Is the focus going to be exclusively on radicalizing that's done by ISIS and al-Qaeda, or will the office also focus on other individuals or groups who attempt to radicalize? Scott Newark uh, joins me on The Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network. You know Scott, been on this, we've worked together on air for 25 years. Uh, you know Scott primarily as a former Crown Attorney in Alberta and uh, former Executive Director of the Canadian Police Association. But remember, following 9-11, he was named Ontario's Special Security Advisor and authored the province's Perimeter Security Strategy. He also served as Director of Operations for the Washington, D.C. Investigative Project on Terrorism and served as Senior Policy Advisor to the Federal Minister for Public Safety in Canada and Vice Chair of Operations for the National Security Group. Almost exactly a year ago... Scott wrote a detailed article titled The New Reality, Fighting Terrorism by Preventing Domestic Radicalization. He did that for Inside Policy. So, Scott, um, just the fundamental idea of an office to be opened and operated by the federal government of Canada to create a de-radicalizing reality. Sounds good. Yeah, it but. does. Um, I think your uh, your points are well taken, and the the very first one I'd start with is that it should not be confined to de-radicalization, which means it's after the fact. It should also be uh, it should also include counter-radicalization, which is the as you referred to. It's what I was talking about in that article because <clears throat> I'll always remember Roy after um, the uh, the Toronto terrorist uh, uh, incidents. Uh, very shortly afterwards, one of the um, uh, the guys that was arrested, his father said, quote, they are stealing our kids. And it struck me that what we needed to do was to pay more attention to who they are. And that's why you, anything like this, I think, needs to include a counter-radicalization strategy, which is where we start to go after who the they are to make sure that those entities and forces aren't out there to attempt to radicalize individuals and take them into the next stages of facilitation and helping with travel and everything else. We don't need to wait till after the fact where somebody has been reported as being radicalized. We actually want to, and this, you know, this is what an intelligence-based approach is, is you identify what the potential threat is. You don't wait till after the fact when it's actually taken place. And that's going to uh, it's going to be complex, as is the uh, the de-radicalization, uh, but it's ne- absolutely necessary, in my opinion. And if I was to pick a single area, I think, and probably in large measure because of you know political correctness, given the nature of what's the motivating factor for these guys, uh, we haven't really done a very good job. Uh, that's been a, that was really bluntly identified by the Senate's National Security Committee. Uh, about 18 months ago when they were holding hearings into national security issues and they were trying 
to get us. This is where the information came out. You may remember about how many uh, Canadians had gone overseas to fight uh, in uh, Islamic Jihad and how many were back. That's where all that information came from. And it points out that this is an extremely complex problem we're facing. And by the way, it's been going on in the sense of the presence of the radicalizers, the Islamists, that, that is the, uh, the Islamic extremism, who are here through foreign funding of mosques and learning centers, links into groups uh, uh, with the Muslim Brotherhood, who have an open um, ideology and strategy of subverting from within. So the, the first step for me is to make sure that anybody, whether it's this office or it's this office making sure that the other agencies of government you know, um, put aside the political correctness and start to get at who they are so we can prevent the radicalization in the first place. Well, the first question has to be, of course, who is the problem? Who's creating the problem? And and then what do we do to, to as you point out, counter the uh, the problem that's being created? And and what I see coming out of Ottawa, and it's it's a reaction to the Aaron Driver's story, clearly, yeah. and others that have preceded it, but clearly it's a re- reaction to the Aaron Driver story. I just don't see them prepared. I don't see anything in the way of any substantive detail. I don't see anyone. No, they say they have a short list of people they're considering. Fair enough. But give us an idea of who these people may be, or give us an idea specifically of what it is you're going to, what you're going to do. It's just too open-ended at this point, and I I just see another government bureaucracy that's going to be ultimately massaged by government to the, um, the objective being to create a some some useful news releases at the end of the process. That'll be the real question, I think. I, and I, I don't entirely disagree with your cynicism, although I think actually uh, Ralph Goodale, as the Minister of Public Safety, has been pretty pragmatic. He has. And, and so I'll far, give him that. he's shown yeah. an inclination towards... But he's not the Prime Minister. No, he's not. No, he's not. Uh, but he is uh, seemingly somebody that the Prime Minister uh, listens to. Um, and you're absolutely correct about, uh, number one, what the mandate of the office is. And, you know, it's funny. I say this in particular um, from my background with the, uh, the Ontario Office for Victims of Crime. As, you can, uh, as you'll remember, uh, myself and Sharon Rosenfeld were appointed by Order and Council appointment back in, I guess it would have been like 1998, in effect to improve victim services. And so we were like what this kind of an office would be, a specially set up office uh, with a uh, cabinet uh, appointment. It meant that we reported directly to the minister, which turned out to be a very, very, I'd love to take credit for it, but it was an accident. Uh, it turned out to be probably the most effective part because it meant that we worked with the most senior officials, but we didn't work for them. And what happened to you when you started to be to prove yourself to be successful? Well, things worked out. Uh, you know, what did they do? Well, to you? They shut you down. Well, it was a different government. There was an election, you know, and that happens. Governments, you know, when they're elected, they have the right to choose what to do. But we managed to get a whole lot of stuff done from 1998 to about uh, no, 2000. Scott, but you know what? There are issues that have to that just they, they transcend political philosophy. They, they 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 matter, and it shouldn't matter who's in power because the issue matters. And what you were doing in the Office for Victims of Crime in the province of Ontario was proving to be successful, too successful for some politicians, and so they withdrew their support. Well, that's and that's, my assessment. that's why I think it's important that there is number one a a pretty clear mandate as to what the uh, the authority of this office is. And I would also build in what is, in effect, a reporting mechanism. You're not going to be able to, because I don't think 
the last thing you want, in my opinion, on this kind of a subject, you really don't want an office in Ottawa you know, running all of the uh, counter-radicalization or de-radicalization services. They're going to have to, you know, identify who the groups are locally. This is going to have to be a local effort. There's an excellent article in the uh, Toronto Star today written by Michelle Shepard, who is describing there's two of these programs underway, right, kind of programs underway right now, one in Montreal and one in Calgary, which I'd highly recommend people, if you're interested in this, uh, go online and get the have a look at the article. They're going to, I think the office will have a role to play in that and to making sure that those kinds of resources are actually available. Um, but it's, it's not going to be an easy subject because you're dealing with, you know, the, the ideology motivator here, of course, is rooted in religion. And, you know, in our society, we cherish the freedom of religion. But unfortunately, the bad guys are using that to attempt to cause us harm. And so we're well, going to have a... to recognize and use I think what are the local assets from, let's face it, you know, the, the, the Muslims who moved here to get away from this kind of autocratic thuggery and all of a sudden are finding this extremism, you know, in their own uh, communities. It's not going to be do, easy, do but they, it does need to be done. Do they know how? I mean, is there a successful formula for de-radicalizing to take place, whether it's, whether it's religious-based or whether it's political-based, because there's some some pretty dangerous people who are just running around espousing political philosophies and, and, and threatening based on that, too. Well, if you, I think, you know, probably every country in the world will tell you that they have wonderful, successful programs. I'm not sure I agree with that. Um, the, uh, there is one in particular that has been uh, uh, commented on that is um, uh, in uh, Europe. It's actually out of uh, Denmark, I believe. Uh, that's the one that the uh, Calgary uh, Police Service have uh, modeled theirs on. Um, <clears throat> you know, but it's, uh, I remember I did some work in Trinidad and Tobago and the, who are having problems with this now. And part of the big issue there was about the radicalization that took place in prisons. Uh, that is a big, big issue it's in the United States. It's in this country, too. It is in this country as well, too. And see, that, that's the point, is we're going to have to recognize, you know, candidly, the nature of the threat that we are facing and see where it manifests itself so that we can try to get resources into place to prevent it from happening in the first place. But again, the, the person, the, the whoever, and I'm going to have to take a break here, but yeah. who, whoever runs this office, whoever staffs the office, whoever operates the program is going to have to have credibility in the greater community. It can't be a bunch of politicians or bureaucrats who are beholden nominally to the politicians waiting to write news releases. No, I agree, but they're going to have to also have credibility, as you say, not only with the local Muslim populations, but also with the security agencies who recognize that the uh, the end goal here, as you say, is not to issue a press release, it's to actually make a difference. There's a story that came out of Quebec on Friday, Scott, and it was the... Uh, yeah. Uh, from the it's about the Charter of Values, or at least it was pointing at the Charter of Values that was introduced in 2013 by the Parti Québécois. I was still living in Quebec at the time, and what they were going to do is they were going to ban everyone in working in the public sector from wearing any what was called conspicuous religious symbols. And according to the Center for the Prevention of Radicalizing Leading to Violence, talk about a long title. Uh, it's an 84-page document, and they argue 
that because of the Charter of Values, or at least the Charter of Values had something to do with the fact that there were significant numbers of young Muslims who were being influenced by people who were trying to radicalize them, who were pointing at this Charter of Values and saying, see, if you're Muslim, you're being picked on and downtrodden in the province of Quebec. Yeah, th- that is uh, also part of the complexity, is that the uh, the bad guys use that as an actual, uh, as you say, recruiting tactic. So they they like. But wouldn't to you see that show. coming? Wouldn't you see that if you're if you're introducing you a charter so. of values? Wouldn't you understand that that there's going to be a reaction, a response to the charter of values? That that's why I, as I said at the outset, that this kind of an office needs to have that level of expertise. They need to understand, for example the linkages of the uh, the Muslim Brotherhood and the groups that are operating here. They need to understand that the best uh, safety tool is, is, frankly, our success uh, in integration of immigrants to this country. And so any activities that is opposed to integration, okay, is something that should raise a big red flag. But you need to have that kind of um, expertise and understanding so as to be able to make sure that you're, when you're up on the stage with you know, your hand around somebody's shoulder as you're talking about this sort of thing, it's not somebody who, when you're not in the room, is uh, you know, preaching radical Islam. So it's that level of awareness and understanding and identification of what it is that we want to accomplish here, including, as I said at the outset, actually going after the people that are doing the radicalizing. And let me just add... That includes, I think, as well on the Internet. There was a provision in C-51 that may actually assist in that. It's, in effect, takedown powers on um, websites and social communications. Uh, but those are all the kinds of things that need to be there, and we need to use, as we've talked about before, all of the tools in the toolbox. There's something I talked about yesterday on the show with David Fraser, the uh, Internet's privacy lawyer, was talking about passwords being protected. And I said, it's a different world we live in now. If a password, if behind a password there is a plot to commit an atrocious, heinous act of terrorism, get the password out of the way because it's more significantly important to stop the act of terrorism than to protect the password. I know that that runs into some fundamental arguments again about what charter rights are and what constitutional rights are, but it's a changing world. And if we have a federal government saying we have 35 million bucks for this office and this is our objective, then tell us how... Tell us how you're going to do it, and show us proof that the somewhere in the world it has worked. Yeah, no, I, look, and I, worked I, well. I tell you, I, you, I think you've had him on your show before. You, we were talking about the kind of people you'd want to have involved in this. Uh, I think you, you know, uh, Zudi Jasser. Very well. Yes. Okay. There's a guy who is pragmatic, sensible, informed, understands the religion, understands the deviation in the religion understands all of that kind of stuff, including the security aspects on all of these different kinds of issues and what needs to be done. Um, those are the kinds of people that need to be involved, and not just simply in an office in Ottawa somewhere, but throughout the country. Well, we'll see what, uh, we'll see what comes out of this. Well, it's going to be in the details, Roy, as is often the case in this. As often as is. But, is it, details. but as you also pointed out, the uh, and I have to give credit where credit is due, I think Ralph Goodale has appeared to be a very pragmatic minister for public safety. We'll, we'll see how it goes going somebody forward. somebody who but. is willing to ask tough questions and yeah. inform questions yeah. of department heads when they don't appear to be doing their job, well, and that's what we need here. You have to be fair, and uh, I, think that, uh, I think that he's done a pretty good job. Yeah, and apparently he doesn't drive in a limousine either. Hard for me to say that about a liberal, but I'm doing my best. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Scott. Good talk as always. <laughs> Bye-bye. Scott, New York.